Hey, it's Howie. We're rerunning a few of our favorite episodes this week, taped at various stages in our reporting. The words remain urgent, the voices important. First up, Davida Davison. This episode originally ran on March 25th. This is Takeaway Only, a podcast about the hospitality industry in crisis. I'm Howie Khan, and these are the stories of the people who take care of you. Today's guest is Davida Davison, Executive Director of Food Lab Detroit. Davida knows how to fight for restaurants like no other, and her leadership now is critical to the industry's survival. Listen in as Davida gives a powerful, must-hear masterclass on how to get organized, how to generate hope, and why Detroit is uniquely positioned to help heal a suffering nation. We will be back tomorrow with an all-new guest. Please hit subscribe so you don't miss it. Stay tuned now for Davida Davison and her visionary message. Davida, what's going on in Detroit today? Oh, my goodness. For me personally, conference calls, um, meetings, trying to get outside. I'm in my car, so I'm practicing social distancing, um, getting some fresh air. Um, But my day has really changed. Um, My days, I should say, how we have really changed to checking in on entrepreneurs um, in the Food Lab community, trying to keep their spirits up, um, conference calls with our state um, elected officials and also um, folks who are in charge of providing aid to our small business community. Um, So I was on a conference call this morning um, trying to understand more about a small business loan that's going to be available through our um, organization called MEDC, which is Michigan Development Economic uh, Corp. Then I had a call later um, on this afternoon with um, uh, Senator Gary Peters, uh, with folks in our uh, chef community, um, folks like Kate Williams, um, folks like Brad Greenfield, um, um, Andy uh, at Selden Standard. Uh, So it has been a bunch of phone calls, organizing, advocacy. That is what my work has really shifted to. Oh, I was on a phone call um, with our um, philanthropic partners, our foundations, um, giving them a kind of update of what's happening on the ground. So, Howie, this is a all-hands-on-deck approach from uh, philanthropy, uh, public, private, government, non-government. Everybody has to get on board. Um, this is huge. So that's what my days consist of. I have to say, you are one of the humans I know who is best equipped to deal with what's going on now. When I list off, when I hear you list off what you've done today, um, there are different versions of things you might do in a month anyways, just more urgent. What was the first thing you did? Like how, how does somebody understand how to start advocating for themselves if they don't have a you in their community? Yeah, it was so interesting because you know what? I want to believe, Howie, I really do. I want to believe there is a me in every type of community. And that is someone who is who who loves this industry, someone who is passionate, someone who is um, um, a bridge builder, uh, someone who is who shows up. 
um, someone that people can trust, somebody who who um, is just in different circles. And the reason why I say that is because there was a meeting, a secret meeting, and it was written about. So I'm not saying anything folks can't read about. But there was a secret meeting called in Chicago about three weeks ago um, by Chef Jason. And Jason owns the restaurant uh, Lula Cafe um, in Chicago. And he called the meeting um, with some chef friends of his. I mean, we're talking about the guys over at Giant in Chicago. He called Chef Eric Williams at Virtue. He called Stephanie, who's a chef partner at at Boca Group. And he was just kind of like, you know what, guys? He was like, we've got to start advocating for ourselves. I want to hear your concerns. I want to hear what you guys are going through. I know I'm not in this by myself. No judgment. Listen, don't come and think that anybody is going to say or think anything. We're all struggling, but we need to be open about it. We've got to talk about it with one another. We can't be scared to share our ups and downs, our masteries and miseries. Jason pulled the team together, uh, uh, Chef Josh and his wife, Christine, um, Honey um, uh, um, um, honey Butter Chicken, they were there too. And you know what? They came together. 15 or 17 chefs, and together they drafted a letter to the governor of Illinois, Governor Pritzker, and they came out with the united front of some of the things that they are going to be advocating for as independent restaurateurs. I'm telling you, Howie, there are people that are on the ground that are advocating in the nooks and crannies of their communities and neighborhoods. I mean, you saw what Tennessee Hospitality Group is doing. I mean, these are chefs that just came together. People are now understanding we are all interconnected. And if folks don't have a community, you got to find one. This is bigger than you, Howie. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than one restaurant. You have to find community. Um, That's the only way we're going to make it through. So I like to think there's a bunch of DeVitas out there um, that are organizing their communities. And I know it because I see it. Tell me about the, the mood on the ground in Detroit when you're talking to your chefs and your restaurant partners. And maybe if you want to give a little bit of background for my listeners about what Food Lab Detroit is and what their mission stands for. Yeah, so Food Lab Detroit, we have been, it's, I'm so glad that you asked that question, Howie, um, because Food Lab Detroit, we have been doing this work. We were founded in 2000 and we were founded in 2011. And Howie, that date is so significant for your listeners because two things happened that was so important in the world that really birthed the work of Food Lab and why we came together. So 2008, Food Lab started as a, and I'm going to use, um, some of your listeners may not remember this, Howie. I'm sure you you do. But remember there was a such thing that was called meetups and we used to have these meetup groups. Right. So Food Lab started out as a meetup group and it started in 2011. And that is so significant because in 2008, something happened that was really significant in the world. And you know what that happened? The economy fell apart. Exactly. In 2008, the economy, global economy fell apart. The Wall Street crash would rippled around the globe. In 2013, two years later, so Food Lab started two years after 2008 when the Wall Street crash happened, and two years before in 2013 where something really significant happened. Detroit, Michigan, our city, was on the precipice of filing for the largest municipal bankruptcy 
that the nation had ever seen. I remember. And the reason why I, I then the reason why I lift these dates up, Howie, is because the mood at that time in Detroit in 2011, when we started Food Lab and right after Governor Romney at that time, as he was running for president against Barack Obama, he wrote an op ed in The New York Times that said, let Detroit go bankrupt. And so Detroiters at that time thought the federal government wasn't going to save us. Our own city wasn't going to save us because we were on the precipice of filing for bankruptcy. And the only way we were going to get out of this is if we came together, neighbors to neighbors, residents to residents, citizens to citizens, people to people, community were going to be the only thing that were going to save us. Community was our most important safety net. So Food Lab came out of this call for community because what we knew is that in Detroit, which is a predominantly African-American community, is what we knew is that there was activity happening in Detroit. There was economic activity happening in Detroit, but it was happening underground. People were catering out of their homes, Howie. People were making birthday cakes out of their kitchen. People were barbecuing in their backyard and then sometimes on the corner and in church parking lots. People were frying turkeys already in big deep fryers. What I'm saying is that there was this informal food economy that was already happening in Detroit. We just took it and we brought those individuals together. And so Food Lab Detroit started out of the need to support food entrepreneurs. And so we were started out of community. We are a community-based nonprofit organization. We didn't become a registered 501c3 nonprofit until 2016. And what we are is we are a nonprofit incubator, as they say, or accelerator, uh, a business support organization that supports about 200 locally owned food businesses in the city of Detroit. And when I use the word support, we helped to bring those entrepreneurs who were operating informally into the formal economy. And how do we do that? We help to incubate those businesses so that they can become mainstream or what folks want to call legally operating businesses. Um, we helped our entrepreneurs get access to capital so they can start businesses. But more importantly than all of the business workshop and business services and mentoring and coaching is that Food Lab organization provided folks with community. We connected other food entrepreneurs to each other so they can peer to peer begin to collaborate, mentor each other and grow their business. So we're a community-based nonprofit organization that provides support to about 200 businesses. And what our community looks like, um, our community is very reflective of the demographic of the city of Detroit. So there um, are about 200 members in Food Lab and almost 80% of those members are folks of color. Um, so we're talking about a large proportion, of course, being African-American, um, Hispanic and Latinx. Um, and we also have a, um, a significant amount of Arab Americans um, and then uh, Pacific South uh, Eastern as well. Um, and then a large majority of our entrepreneurs are also women entrepreneurs, about almost 60 percent. So that's so that's who we are. And we've been around operating um, for about. Uh, eight years now. What are your members communicating to you right now? I've got it. They're scared, Howie. They're scared. 
you have to understand, and I want your listeners to understand that, you know, the individuals who we work with are individuals who did not have investors uh, behind them when they started their business. A lot of the businesses that we uh, worked with as they began to start and grow and, and, and many of them scaled, a lot of them used their own personal uh, money. A lot of them used their own personal savings account, sometimes even credit cards. And so, you know, so many of these businesses enthusiastic and excited about the entrepreneurial ecosystem that was building here in Detroit that they so desperately wanted to be a part of. They use their own money. It wouldn't surprise you, Howie, and it wouldn't surprise your listeners to know that there is a gap in this country. There's a wealth gap um, in this country, and there's a gap as it relates to having access to capital. And so many of the entrepreneurs in our community fell in that gap and couldn't get traditional uh, capital. And so many of them used their own personal savings. They didn't have or they didn't come for families where, you know, grandma, aunt and uncle or, or dad or mom could give them 15, 20, 50,000 dollars to start a business. They did it on their own. They did it, of course, too, with community. So right now they're scared because everything that they have is invested in two things. One, in their houses, and two, in their business. That's what their investment portfolio looks like. That's what the vehicle of investment looks like for our entrepreneurs. They invested in their homes, and they invested in starting a business. And so they're scared right now because those two things are really tied into one big system, and that big system, right, is the real estate industry. The real estate industry, as we know, right, undergird the banking industry. So, Howie, if one goes, the other one goes. And so they really are, they're they're really, um, they're nervous. Um, And so we have to deal with those fears, right? And the way we deal with fear is we have to provide hope in the time of darkness. And so that's really. How are you going to do that? You know what? how, How we provide hope is because I constantly remind entrepreneurs in our community that Detroit has seen bad times. They come and they work and they live and they and they do their business in a city and they are very aware of the fact that Detroit has seen dark days. But through it all, linking side by side, with community, we got out of it together. I have to remind them that we got to go back, folks. We weren't always in, and I know some of the story headlines that your readers have read about Detroit, and so many people were like cheering from Detroit, and and we were, of course, because we're here, and we love that folks are rooting for Detroit. I mean, we were the comeback story. Detroit is coming back, and we were, and we are. And this is a gut gut punch. Yes, it is a punch in the gut. But we've been here before. We can get through this. And here's the thing. Now it's not only Detroit. It's the it's the whole world. And so I wouldn't be surprised, Howie, and I tell entrepreneurs this in Detroit all the time. I wouldn't be surprised if the world turns to Detroit and say, you know what? How did you all make it when you lost almost half of your residents? 
when a city that was almost two million in population in the 1950s and the early 1960s, this is in my lifetime, Howie, because I'm 51 years old, right? How did a city go from a population of almost two million to now a city of under 700,000? How did you all make it? How does, did a city survive when every single regional and national grocery store closed its doors and left the city of Detroit? How did y'all make it? How did you make it when streetlights weren't on? How did you make it when fire and ambulance and police were not responsive? How did you make it? We did, Howie. We made it. And I know this time may seem dark. I know a lot of folks are scared. But, you know, maybe it's because I'm the daughter of a minister. But my father had to remind me of God's grace and his mercy. And I am convinced that as long as I have health and strength and family and people who deeply love me and people who deeply want to organize and people who are deeply connected to one another, we'll get through this. We'll get through it. You, I'm a little choked up. Um, I believe you. I, I believe you. Thank you. Let me, let me tell you something, Howie. There, 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 there's a man that we all know and love. And we celebrate his birthday in January every year. His name is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And the impact that he had on the world was, uh, we all know it was great. But when Martin Luther King Jr. went to Washington and he gave his speech that we play and we listen to and we, we recite and we teach our children His speech wasn't, I have a plan. His speech was, I have a dream. Howie, we have to be able to create vision for for people. We have to be able to create the space so people can dream and imagine a vision that we are going to see brighter days. That's how you provide hope to people, is that yes, we have to deal with our reality, but as the good book tells us, trouble don't last always. We have to be able to give people a pathway, a journey, a blueprint to see that we're going to get out of this. And let's vision, let's imagine the world that we want to create as we get through this. Right? What are some of the things we need to happen in the next few days, the next few weeks, the next few months to start getting through it, to make sure there's that space to dream? Is yeah, it, is I mean, it tax relief? Yeah. Is it rent relief? Yeah. Is it government relief? What what's yeah. what's most important? How do we prioritize? Yeah, that's a great question, Howie. Um, and 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 listen, I I I want folks to know that I'm not coming to, and and we're not having this conversation because Davida is no is no expert. I am just here sharing um, with you some some of some of my opinions, some of the things that I'm thinking about, some of the things that the folks who I have been in conversation with um, um, all week if they've been talking about. And it was it's really interesting. I was on a I was on a call uh, this afternoon. Um, with some really dear friends of mine who are chefs in the community. And, and I told you, Senator Peters and his um, his staff. And one of the things that, you know, is troublesome and is on the minds of many restaurateurs and chefs in Detroit is rent. Um, you know, that is a huge fixed cost. 
Um, and and so rent is on the minds of so many. And I know it's not only Detroit chefs and restaurateurs, but it has to be on the mind of so many chefs and restaurateurs all over the, across the country. And so one of the things that we talked to and we were talking to uh, Senator Peters about was this notion of, you know, rent abatement, rent forgiveness, rent holiday. You know, and he and he shared with us, you know, he says, listen, I've got to be really honest with you guys. I hear you. I know how important your businesses are. But in order to you know, pass that type of policy, in order to pass that kind of legislation, we've got to have everybody on board. And so it's not just the restaurateurs. We've got to get the developers on board. The developers got to get the banks on board. Like, and, and we don't see that happening, right? We don't see that happening. Um, you know, who knows? It may, but right now, you know, we don't see that, see, see that happening. However, what we can do, a measure we can put in place, is that if you do fall behind on your rent, is that they cannot evict you, right? And so we can put a moratorium, we can put a stop on like evictions. And, you know, it was Paul Saginaw from Zingerman's who said this. I worked for Paul. Paul was my boss. Oh, really? I worked at no, Zingerman's. No. And, and Paul and Ari are just fantastic. Um, and we're so glad that we have their wisdom and their leadership um, so close to us here in Detroit because they're right up the road um, in Ann Arbor. And Paul said this. And this is where we begin to prioritize. Paul said, you know what? He says, this is what we have to do. Is that, and this is why it's so important, Howie, that we are in community with one another and we have relationships. He said, what we have to do immediately is we've got to communicate and we've got to talk to people. He says, you got to call your landlord. You've got to be able to communicate with folks. You've got to let people know what's happening. You can't get through this on your own. So the first thing people need to do is people need to, first of all, gather themselves. Okay. And then if you if and like me, you know, I've got a lot of thoughts right, right, like right now in my head. So I'm writing things down feverishly all the time. Right. I've got little little scout books. I've got uh, things that I'm writing down. I'm keeping with me all the time. I wake up in the middle of the night. How I'm writing stuff down. Right. And you have to really think about, OK, what are your immediate needs? What are your immediate concerns? And for a lot of us in the business is rent. And so here's the thing. Have a conversation about people. You can't be quiet about it. You can't not just say anything. And so that immediately we have to start having conversations as difficult as they may be. We have to start having conversations with folks. Right. So I think that's I think that is I think that's I think that's immediate. I think the second thing that is that's, that's super immediate is that people need cash in hand now. Another thing that Senator Peters told us when we were on the phone is that folks have started filing for unemployment. He said in the state of Michigan, he just got word that the um, unemployment claims are up 500%. And uh, Paul let us know that even if you file your application today, there is about a week and a half backlog and then after that, you probably won't get your check for another two weeks. OK, how we so we're talking about people who are probably not going to start seeing cash or checks for about a month. OK. What are we doing? How we get how are folks getting money today? Again, this is communication. I see it happening right now in Food Lab where I've got member businesses and folks in our community who are doing GoFundMe accounts. 
Okay. Our philanthropic, our philanthropic and our foundation partners have come together and put together an emergency fund um, where, uh, where you've got businesses that are filing um, or submitting applications, you know, for small grants to help pay um, for their staffing needs. Okay. And so, and so I think immediately right now, we've got to work on the ground because right now, how we, our, your listeners know this. There is no leadership right now coming out of the federal government. Okay, a lot of leadership that we are seeing, particularly in the state of Michigan, is coming from our governors, are coming from our senators and our Congress people. Okay, and so because there is such a lack of leadership coming from the federal government, it's important for us to continue to have those conversations. It's important to let our legislators know what's happening on the ground and begin to put together our list so that we can start advocating. But immediately we have to have boots on the ground. We've got to be in our cities. We've got to be in our communities. We have got to be talking with our, uh, our, our philanthropy, our, 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 our philanthropic leaders. If you're a nonprofit, are you talking to your program officer? Okay. If you are a business, are you talking to your, your mayor? Are you talking to your alderman? Are you talking to your congressperson? Loco, 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 loco. That's how we are going to get action, I believe, the fastest. Okay, because we need to get we need to make sure people can put food on the table. Okay, and we got to make sure that mothers and fathers can have safe spaces for their children. And we also have and I'm just talking about immediately. I know there's a health care epidemic and we got to make sure our, our health care workers are taken care of. I'm just talking about people who are who are on the ground right now feeling the impact. We were talking a little bit the other day about the psychological impact as well, which is a little bit different. Um, it's obviously linked to people's economic futures. Um, but you were telling me, you know, the people you're used to dealing with in the hospitality businesses do not know how to isolate. These are the extroverts of the extroverts. These are welcome, welcome into my home and eat all my food, come to my table, be here, be with me. So how do you, how do you find um people who have those personality traits are coping. Howie, if I get one more invitation of somebody asking me to do a virtual cocktail hour, I'm like, y'all stop it. Like, <laughs> oh my God, I can't. I can't take it. I mean, they're virtual cocktail hours. I'm like, what? I'm like, oh my God. And, 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 and Facebook lives and it's just, it's, oh my God. And they uh, Oh, they turn into social media. I mean, some folks are because this this is just the way social media. Um, um, I, I see that a lot. I'm I'm laughing because I know my community. We just wanna we just wanna uh, again be in in community with one another. So yes, folks are utilizing social media, but some folks too are are taking this time to reflect, right? Some folks are taking this time to have, I mean, there may not be social media kind of chats that are happening, but some folks are are, are chatting privately um, with staff. I know so many people that's on the phone every day. I mean, I'm on the phone, Howie. I'm telling you, from the time I get up um, until, you know, four, five, six o'clock. I mean, I've got another call um, after this. So many people are in conversation with one another. And here's the thing. I love it. I, let's talk about it. T don't be in this by yourself. Please don't. 
don't shut off the phone. This is not the time. I know, yeah, take some time to shut down and maybe read a book and maybe get outside and walk around the block and maybe do, you know, some jumping jacks or lunges like in your backyard. But you know what? If you are feeling down, if you are feeling sad, pick up the phone and call somebody. And so and so I I I absolutely I'm encouraged. I'm motivated. I am. I don't know. It gives me joy to have these conversations with folks like you, whether it is a podcast or I'm going to get on the phone later on today um, with some colleagues of mine who are part of the business support um, organization ecosystem we have in Detroit and are talking to entrepreneurs about, um, you know, about what kind of lending um, um, uh, resources that are out here. And so right now, you know, we're, we're talking to each other. I was on the, the line earlier today with George Azar at Flowers of Vietnam, and he was as... How is George doing? George, George is honestly the most focused, the most fired up, and the most calm I've ever seen him. Oh, my God. Did you tell him you would be talking to me later? Of course I did. Oh, my God. Big smile on his face. No, oh, I love him so much. That's my nephew. I love him so much. I'm glad that he's focused. Um, yeah, in times like this, yeah, I can see him. Yeah, he's he's focused because he he wants to take he wants to take care of his staff that he loves so much. He wants to make sure that that when we get out of this, Flowers of Vietnam is going to be around for his community that he absolutely loves so much. So he's focused. Davida, this show is called Takeaway Only. Um, what is your biggest takeaway from the last couple of weeks? You know. That is a great, um, that's an absolute great question. And I've got to tell you, Howie, what I have been um, spending a lot of time when I'm not on the phone and when I'm not having conversations, what I have been spending a lot of time thinking about, and maybe I'm wrong for this, but I've been thinking about what's next? What's next, Howie? And, and the reason why I say what's next is that, you know, I think that we have an opportunity here. I think, number one, is that I'm supporting folks on the ground, right? Because I know we are working through this kind of unprecedented and difficult situation, particularly in my industry where social distancing is really, really hard to do, right? I'm pushing for immediate relief of of workers, of business owners who are on the front lines of this crisis. We talked about the need to have food and shelter, healthcare in Detroit, water, right? So the all these things are happening. But you know what the big takeaway for me, Howie, is the second thing that's on my mind. And that's what I talked about visioning, right? I think that this is a perfect opportunity for me and for those that can is to quickly move into conversations that are conversations about there are two different paths that we have right now. And they're opening up. You know, as we move through this academic epidemic, I'm sorry, we can choose two things, Howie. And here's the big takeaway. We can continue in our industry to support an industry that was that in my opinion, Howie, that had a lot of challenges. In many cases, it was built on the backs of exploitation of workers. We saw through the Me Too movement around how this industry was hyper, in some case, 
masculine and patriarchy and many times not inclusive for women. Right. So we can choose to replicate all systems or we can choose a different path. And that path is the part of like a visioning. Right. How do we create something new? How do we bring into and birth into a world where the restaurant industry looks totally different? And I'm, when I say different, I mean better. I mean stronger. I mean more fair, more just, more delicious, more inclusive than it was before. And so that's the big takeaway. We are at this intersection. What path do we want to go on? Are we going to replicate old systems or are we going to see this as an opportunity to create and birth anew? And I'm hoping people will choose the latter. I'm hoping that people will understand that we may see what looks like a failing industry now. But together we can come out of this and we can work toward an industry that really brings about wealth and prosperity and fairness for all. And that's, and that's what gives me hope. Davida, I, I love listening to you. I really do. I think a lot of people are going to be lifted by hearing your words. And I want to thank you for your time today. I know you're very busy. Um, I appreciate you and I love the work that you're doing. Thank you for being our guest today on Takeaway Only. Thank you so much, Howie. And I just want to say to your listeners who are all across the country as they listen to your podcast and the world and i just want all across the world yes all across the world and i just want to say in closing from isolation in detroit but also in solidarity we stand with you all over the world we stand with citizens at this particular time and so thank you howie and to all your listeners stay strong stay healthy Stay safe and make sure that you tell somebody that you love them. Thank you so much for listening. Takeaway Only is produced by Casey Khan, Rob Corso, and me, Howie Khan, for Freetime Media. Our logo is by Reynald Philippe at Beepoles. Music by John Palmer. Special thanks to Kristen Millar, Antoine Ricardou, and Raphael Weil. We're back Wednesday. This is Takeaway Only.